Hi, this is Elliot Fishman, and welcome to part two of Evaluation of Renal Cancer. And I left off previously with this teaser basically saying, you know, what do we do in terms of protocols? And again, there are many different phases you can get. The issue, of course, as we've spoken about before, in this era of trying to minimize dose, you want to, you want to minimize the number of phases you get. In saying that, you need enough phases to get the right answer. Getting one phase and not coming up with an answer and then needing another study is crazy. And then, of course, it yields more radiation dose and more complications. So we tend to choose the phases wisely. And I mentioned before, you know, non-contrast is really good for looking at high attenuation cystic lesions, recognizing which things are cysts versus uh, solid masses, particularly those high-density renal cysts, which can be confusing. We spoke about arterial phase imaging, showing neovascularity, separating papillary renal cell from clear cell, arterial mapping for surgical planning. We spoke about venous phase imaging. Again, more information, looking at renal vein, looking at IVC ideal, and of course, delayed phase imaging. We spoke about that, talking about its advantages, particularly in picking up transitional cell carcinomas where it's mandatory, but also at times with small uh, vascular lesions, which can be missed on arterial phase. Delayed phase will show these lesions essentially in all cases. So again, we'll look at some of the basic ways we kind of use things and how we change it based on patient's age. Um, some basic protocols, we only use non-ionic contrast. We typically use um, Omnipake. If now we use Visipake, injecting four to five cc's a second with a contrast volume in the range of 100 to 120 cc's. Now, in terms of the non-contrast CT scans, when we get them, they can be low-dose scans, 3 by 3 or even 5 by 5 works very nicely. When we do the early phase of cortical medullary phase imaging, for patients under the age of 50, we'll only go through the kidneys a little bit above, a little bit below, uh, in the sense being that uh, what are you going to find more distally? Uh, with arterial phase, over age 50, we'll scan through the pelvis because then we could pick up very small bladder tumors as a cause of hematuria. And again, we're talking about hematuria in this protocol. Uh, and then, of course, as we go to the uh, nephrographic phase, we'll typically do the kidney only. If the patient has a mass scene, we'll scan through the liver to look at IVC involvement. And then, of course, excretory phase imaging, we'll do a CT urogram, so you need to do the entire kidney and bladder. Again, very, very simple. In terms of protocols, we're pretty simple. Uh, thin sections, 64 detector CT, 0.75 millimeter thick sections at 0.5 millimeters. And even on definition, a dual source or anything fancy will still stick with the 0.75 millimeters by 0.5. That works very nicely. Obvious scan times are dependent on your scanner. So arterial phase imaging, nothing brilliant is ideal for looking at the arteries, three or two renal arteries on the right, one with prehyla branching, a single renal artery on the left, nicely shown here with volume rendering using a high opacity. Venous phase is ideal for looking at the veins, no great surprise. Here's a circumaortic renal vein, duplicated vein on the right, but you need to be in venous phase at about that 60 to 70 seconds post-injection uh, if not, you can get all sorts of uh, pseudo-lesions. So to avoid those pseudo-clots, you need to be at this exact point, and that's true for renal veins, as well as IVC, nicely shown here. In terms of venous involvement, CT indeed is very good. And whether it's looking at the renal vein or IVC extension for renal cancer, or how far up or down it goes in the IVC, perhaps even into the right atrium, CT works out very nicely. 
And so I asked this question, very nice example here of a renal cell carcinoma. Look at the MIP images going up the renal vein, IVC, and into the patient's right atrium. We asked the question, how good is it? Well, the answer, in fact, was it's really good that it detects all clinically and surgically significant tumor extensions. And there was an article from Hopkins by Guzzo and Associates. MDCT with 3D imaging is an effective imaging modality for accurately characterizing the level of venous thrombus in patients with renal cell. The modality effectively identified patients with clinically significant venous thrombus and that um, patients with renal cell in whom CT fails to detect tumor thrombus are unlikely to have a thrombus found at surgery that would change the surgical approach. The only cases we missed were microscopic venous invasion. So it really had no impact on patient management. Just a very nice example and a very nice case. Here's another example. Here's a patient early phase imaging, nice vascular renal mass. You can see thrombus or tumor, in fact, going into the renal vein, up the IVC, but only about halfway upward. Then you follow it on venous phase imaging. And again, it's much clearer that it's not reaching the level of where the hepatic veins enter the IVC. It's not going up into the right atrium. And here's just a few more images showing that. Again, neovascularity, these are the early phase images. Remember I commented early phase imaging is also good for venous involvement in the sense that you can differentiate often thrombus, which is bland from tumor extension. Here with increased vascularity, you see tumor extension. And here's the venous phase imaging, which are ideal. You can see from the image on your left, it does not go up into the intrahepatic, uh, 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 it does not go up from the intrahepatic IVC into the patient's right atrium. You can see how far it actually goes. So it extends upward, but this patient can be approached from an abdominal approach. Very nice example. And you compare that to this case, here is going up the IVC into the right atrium, nicely seen, okay? Very nice example. Now, in terms of tumor staging, CT is very good. And let's just remind ourselves of the different staging. Tumor stage one, tumor of seven centimeters or less and limited to the kidney. No lymph node or metastasis to distant organs. Um, patients on the 4CM exophytic peripheral, they'll get a partial nephrectomy. 7CM, those patients are getting total nephrectomies. Stage two, a tumor larger than seven centimeters, but still limited to the kidney. There's no lymph node involvement or metastasis, distant organs. Again, surgery is the way to go. Uh, stage three is either tumor of any size with involvement of a nearby lymph node, but no distant metastasis. Tumors of the stage may be with or without spread to the fatty tissue around the kidney, with or without spread into the large veins leaning from the kidney to the heart, or tumor was spread to fatty tissues around the kidney, so-called perirenal spread, and or spread into the large veins leaning from the kidney to the heart, but without spread to lymph nodes or other organs. So vascular involvement is stage three. Now stage four is different. Tumor has spread directly through the fatty tissue and the fascial ligament-like tissue that surrounds the kidney. So local invasion is stage four. Involvement of more than one lymph node near the kidney, calling a lymph node over 1.5 centimeters. Involvement of any lymph node not near the kidney, that means mediastinum, supracovicular zones, or distant mets, lung, bone, or brain are the most common, and that is going to make the patient stage four. 
Now, treatment, as we mentioned, surgery is the best treatment for renal cell cancer, surely stage one and stage two disease, classic nephrectomy, depending on the situation, versus partial nephrectomy. These days, particularly with detection of small lesions, RF ablation can be used very successfully. In patients with stage three or stage four disease, commonly chemotherapy or immunotherapy, or now even vaccine therapy uh, can be used. Now, when I spoke about protocols, I mentioned about excretory phase imaging or delayed phase imaging that it was mandatory. And of course, when I asked this question at the ECR, most people did recognize that it is indeed a mandatory process. Now, how do you do CTRography? Again, we said it's mandatory because you're going to miss lots of transitional cells unless you do delayed phase imaging. And the second thing we showed before, and I'll repeat it again, small renal cell carcinomas, typically clear cells, hypervascular, under 2CM, without distortion of the renal outlines, can easily be missed. So, some facts on CTRography. Here's an article from the um, Society. CTRography is essentially defined as a CT exam of the urinary tract before and after the administration of IV contrast material that includes excretory phase imaging. And they go a bit further in this article by Townsend, making the point that most urologists perform CTRography with MDCT, three-phase technique, single injection at 3 ml, without a compression device, and with the patient's supine. You may remember that the original articles, patients were supine and prone. Compression was commonly used. People talk about multi-phase of, of injections, or, you know, before you even scan the patient, and I'll show you some of that in a moment. Our protocol is similar, but simple. Thousand cc's of water prior to the study distends the stomach, helps with the patient having to uh, uh, excrete contrast. Again, it's a safety factor as well, well as a way of making your uh, CT urograms even better. We then inject the contrast, as we said, four to five cc's. Typically, five minutes is good enough for CT urography, though if we know the patient has an obstruction or a UPJ, we'll wait closer to eight minutes. And occasionally, more delayed scans are necessary, but typically, we don't do them because you can get a, a plain film and you're not going to keep the patient in CT for a couple hours. And getting a delayed scan usually is not necessary. It's more radiation. Occasionally, we will do that, but very occasional. CTRography, we look at the information from axial through coronal through 3D imaging. And using the protocol we described, the success rate is nearly 95% in this article by Satomi Kawamoto. So now you're not always going to have the renal pelvis and collecting systems and ureter totally opacified, but you'll get good opacification and you can see the ureter, particularly if it's dilated in cross-section, and look for transitions. And I'll show you that in a moment. So it's typical normal CT urograms, very nice volume render display, high opacity, or volume render display with transparency, nice double contrast, or here a nice example of a duplicated collecting system on the left. Good evaluation of the pelvis and calocele systems. So now let's look at the tumor we're typically worrying about, transitional cell carcinoma. Clinical presentation is usually hematuria. It's about 10% of renal neoplasms, multifocal, and a bit older in age than renal cell carcinoma. This makes about 10 to 15% of all renal tumors, 90% of transitionals, 9% squamous, about 1% of mucinous. The age is a bit later, as we said, about 60s to 70s, more common in males by a 3 to 1 ratio, 
And it's important to recognize that 40% of patients with upper tract transitional cell will develop lower tract TCC, metachronous TCC of the lower tract. So you always need to look everywhere. Seeing one lesion is not enough. And this article by Vikram, the hallmark of TCC is multiplicity and recurrence. Up to 4% of patients with bladder cancer develop upper tract TCC, but 40% with upper tract TCC develop bladder cancer. So that's seeding. TCC occurs more commonly in select patients, analgesic abuse, chemical carcinogens, cyclophosphamide therapy, and heavy caffeine consumption are all possibilities. Now, when you look at uh, detection of transitional cell carcinomas, I've often noticed, and the articles have shown, they're very easy to miss. This article by Prando makes the point that familiarity with the usual and unusual features uh, will facilitate making the correct diagnosis as well as developing adequate treatment options. Now, there are a range of appearances, anywhere from a single or multiple sessile filling defects, pelvic calcial irregularities, focal or diffuse mural thickening, calcial amputation, or tumor-filled distended calyces. You can see any of these possibilities. It's important to recognize when you look down the list, of course, that the lower parts of the list are more extensive tumor. When it's very extensive, no one's going to miss things. It's early on that's very easy to miss. I'll also make the point that sometimes particularly larger TCCs can be confused with either infection or abscess, lymphoma, metastasis, or even a papillary renal cell carcinomas. So just something to be aware of. Now, an article by Brown, this is a couple of years ago, made the point that perhaps CTRography would indeed be good for looking at urinary tract tumors and give us that one-stop shopping and uh, made the point, you know, what a good idea, the opportunity for one-stop evaluation in the assessment of hematuria and follow-up of TCC. Well, he's definitely right. It is the ideal study, but you have to be careful. You look at this case, and I ask you where the tumor is in the right kidney. It's subtle, and I'll put a circle around it, but that's subtle. Even in the coronal planes, yes, it's there. Yes, you should see it, but there's no changes in perfusion of the kidney. There's none of those secondary signs. You should recognize it, but look how easy it is to see when you look at the axial images. Look at the pelvis with the destroyed calyces seen there, and you go to coronal display. Look how obvious that pelvis and calyceal destruction is, and in 3D, it is really, really obvious. So again, things that sometimes are obvious in one perspective are not so obvious in other perspectives. Or this case, hematuria, there's a filling defect. It's subtle, but it's obvious filling in the lower pole calyx. And here it is delayed, where you can see it encases the lower pole calyx and amputates it. So just a very nice example. And then before I mentioned the larger tumors, here is not, it's hard to miss this one, I guess. You see differential function, you see the mass in the pelvis, but this could be a transitional cell and also could be a renal cell carcinoma, papillary type. It, this is not infection or anything else. Um, what if you called it a renal cell? Well, it's probably not all that bad. The big thing in this case, of course, is to be careful about the ureter and the bladder. A transitional cell will have a nephrectomy, the ureter will be resected, and a portion of the bladder. With a typical uh, renal cell, you're only going to do a nephrectomy, so it does make a difference. And again, transitional cells, as shown here, are typically hypovascular, where some of the vessels are stretched, but there's no neovascularity. Now, with transitional cell carcinomas, 
often, as in this case, you should recognize as a soft tissue mass filling in the left renal pelvis. But I will tell you it is a whole lot easier on 3D. We see the blunted upper pole calyx, the irregularity of the proximal calyx takeoff, the narrowing, the destruction. Very classic, classic example of transitional cell carcinoma. Or this case, patient has a history of bladder cancer. Look at the left renal pelvis. It's distended, the rim is enhancing, there's thickening around it. Here it is in coronal display, and here it is in the 3D display. Look how nicely you can see the encasement of the distal renal pelvis and the proximal ureter. Very nicely seen in this example, classic transitional cell carcinoma. Now I mentioned before we don't wait 20 minutes. The reason we don't wait a long time is A, we're busy, but more importantly, if you wait a long time, the contrast gets so dense in the pelvis and collecting system, there's so much beam-hardening artifact, it makes the study worse. So I like it to be opacified, but not super dense. I also make the point that when you're looking for the ureters, you kind of know where they should travel. And so if a ureter is obstructed, it's like following a small bowel loop looking for a transition zone. So in this case, look at the patient's left ureter. It's opacified normal. Right ureter, it's dilated. You follow it down. And when you follow it down, there's a transition. There's an area of enhancement. That's a carcinoma a transitional cell, nicely shown here. And here it is again on some oblique images. Beautiful infiltration causing left hydronephrosis. Even though it's obstructed and so there's no uh, contrast in the pelvis and collecting system of, of any amount, the urine is a wonderful contrast agent. It's much easier to see on these images than it is to see on the axials where there's something going on but indeed it's very, very subtle. Another example, look at this case. Patient has a little bit of left ureter dilatation. We follow it down. Look at the left ureter just in front of the psoas. You can see it's like a ring-like configuration, which in fact is best seen when you go to the coronal views. And there's a definite filling effect. Looks like a polypoid lesion in the ureter. Here it is in 3D. Could be primary tumor could be metastasis. Um, this was a classic transitional cell carcinoma. Beautifully recognized, but very easy to miss. Look at the left kidney. It's not really obstructed, so very important. Another example, dilated right renal pelvis, right ureter, and we have the goblet sign. Think about the ureter with the tumor infiltrating. It's kind of like a goblet with a good imagination. Here's that goblet sign from a sagittal view. So just very nice examples. So concluding then, CT with CTA and 3D imaging is a study of choice for the detection and staging of renal tumors. The accuracy of CT and lesion detection and characterization is highly dependent on the scanning protocols used. It's critical to optimize your scanning protocols because we're picking up so many lesions that are not really of clinical importance. You want to minimize that, and you want to minimize the number of patients going for surgery who don't really need to go to surgery. There are pitfalls in lesion detection, and I've covered some of those from axials without doing coronals and 3Ds, just one of the pitfalls we spoke about. And lesion detection uh, is only step one. Classification to avoid unnecessary surgery or other therapies is critical. And we spent a lot of time looking at suggestive findings and ways of minimizing error. So hopefully you enjoyed this talk, hopefully you found it helpful, and hopefully I'll see you next time. Have a great day.